Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Welcome to Mind Space. Uh, this is Jeff Boucher. I'm back. Evan, Evan Cop. How are you, sir? Good, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Here we are, another edition of Mind Space, and then this one's a little special. You know why? Uh, no, why? Because I have a theme this week. We have oh, a theme. Nice. I love I love anniversaries. I love um, as a journalist uh, writing for the L.A. Times and Entertainment Weekly and Deadline. Everywhere I've been uh, throughout my career, I always made sure I wrote about anniversaries because it gives you a chance to treat the past like it's news. And to me, stuff that I don't know is news. So if it's news to me, <laughs> um, it's news to you, right? So like, uh, I, I think that uh, writing about anniversaries is a, is a great chance to uh, reflect on legacy stuff and interview people that maybe aren't in the news cycle these days. But today, for us, it gives us a chance to welcome not one, but two guests uh, who are going to join us for a conversation today. Hopefully, this is going to go, uh, all these spinning plates that we have, they'll hopefully work technologically. But uh, we have a couple of great uh, guests with us. And, and one of them, the first one, is Kyle Higgins, uh, who's a well-known comic book writer. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. on. He did Nightwing. Uh, he did a lot of stuff with the Power Rangers that was really kind of cool, considering the intellectual property, he found new life in it. And uh, he's now uh, embarked on a filmmaking career as well. So uh, Kyle is somebody I met when I was writing for the Times uh, and when I was doing Hero Complex and uh, we were doing a lot of film festivals and uh, film screenings that I would host. And there was one in particular, I remember we had uh, Terry Gilliam was the guest and we showed Brazil. Oh man. Um, and uh, we also showed uh, 12 Monkeys, and um, uh, Grant Morrison was in the audience, and uh, Kyle was in the audience, and um, uh, who else was there? Uh, oh, yeah, Neil Gaiman came by. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, so, it was pretty great. It was pretty great looking around, and, um, and uh, from the stage, I, I sort of said, you know, I think Jeff Johns is here and I think, uh, uh, you know, Grant Morrison is here and, and Neil Gaiman and, and Kyle Higgins. And then afterwards, Kyle came up to me and said, like, I can't believe I made it on a list with those guys. Like, how? <laughs> which I thought was really funny. It was very humble of him. Uh, so he's going to be joining us. And then our sort of assistant host or guest co-host, I guess that's probably the best way to put it, is a, a former colleague of mine from my school paper. Uh, I was at the University of Florida back in the late 80s. I met Michael Giltz. I remember being very jealous of him because he won the Rolling Stone College Journalist Prize. They have an award every year. Rolling Stone gives out to one person, like College Journalist of the Year. Wow. 
wow. he won it. Yeah, and I, I was super, super jealous of that. <laughs> um, and continue actually to be jealous of that. But uh, Michael's a fantastic journalist and a good friend and we've kept in touch over the years and he's uh, based in New York. He knows about a lot of stuff that I don't know. Uh, so if you put us together, our Venn diagram is pretty powerful, but like, I don't know much about Broadway. He knows a ton about it. He knows a lot about uh, foreign film. I only know the kind of the, the, the well-known mainstream foreign film stuff. And uh, he's got a much cooler music collection, I think, than I do. Although it might be close. I'm not sure about that. But he's going to join us and we're going to talk about uh, sidekicks. That was uh, the theme of today. Uh, one of my favorite things about comic books is the sidekick. You know, it, I mean, comic books didn't invent the sidekick. But uh, but it's it certainly got a lot of mileage out of it, you know, and it, like because uh, there's some pretty famous ones, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, first one that comes to mind probably for almost everybody is probably Robin. He's probably the most yeah. famous, um, and he's been. I mean, what? There's like five Robins, six Robins. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's not the highest, uh, uh, you know, on the job safety record, quite honestly. <laughs> You know, like they have a little sign in the back cave. It's been so many days since our last accident, you know. Uh, since our last Robin. <laughs> yeah, since our last Robin. So, yeah, of course, Robin the Boy Wonder, uh, one half of the dynamic duo. Uh, and this is uh, his 80th anniversary as a character. He was introduced in uh, Detective Comics number 38 um, uh, back in 1940. And he was, uh, uh, he's the creation of uh, Bill Finger and and the great Jerry Robinson, who uh, was somebody that I got a chance to know uh, in his later years and was one of the real ambassadors of the comic book world to uh, to the rest of the world, and uh, and also Bob Kane. The three of them uh, gave us the sidekick, who was based partly on Robin Hood and also partly based, I think, on uh, some other sidekicks. But we'll get into that when we get Kyle here. There's also Bucky, you know, Bucky. Of course, uh, yeah. Captain Which some people Bucky. might, some people my age might know him better as Winter Soldier than Bucky. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and no sidekick has been reinvented better than mm -hmm. uh, Bucky, uh, who uh, Bucky Barnes was turned into the Winter Soldier uh, through the uh, the amazing epic story chronicled by Ed Brubaker, and uh, what a what a fantastic character that is. Uh, really, the signature character it, uh, introduced in Marvel during the uh, the aughts, the two thousands. You know, uh, I think you know Deadpool would have been the big one in the nineties, and uh, you know probably uh, Wolverine uh, for the seventies, probably uh, Wolverine for the seventies. Yeah, uh, you know Wolverine, and then maybe Punisher, uh, mm -hmm. and then you know for the eighties, uh, I would think uh, Venom. You know, oh, was yeah. really. Venom was really huge for Marvel. Uh, and then I think Deadpool in the 90s. And then, uh, you know, Winter Soldier, who I think was introduced in 2006, thereabouts, maybe, uh, would, would take the prize for the following uh, decade. And it's kind of an interesting way to think about it. You know, I hadn't really thought about it in that way uh, before. I guess Spider-Man would be the 60s. That'd be pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and sidekicks go beyond comics. Uh, you have Cato, uh, Green Hornet and Cato, uh, introduced in 1933, uh, the same year that Tonto, the sidekick of the Lone Ranger, was introduced. Both of them introduced on a Detroit radio station. 
and uh, you know, going into literature, there's a record of uh, sidekicks there as well. Uh, I think it's going to give us a lot of good things to talk about. I, th I think sidekicks, you know, I, I think that we've we've seen more of them in the past than we do now. Uh, there's not too many of them these days. I'm going to have to think if there are any I can even identify as clear-cut pure sidekicks. But uh, maybe we should do a Kickstarter for sidekicks. Yeah, make sure that they're make sure that they're okay. Yeah, maybe we should do a, a sidekick starter. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting what you told me about sidekicks, which was, uh, you know, a lot of them, especially on the radio shows, are there basically just to explain to the audience what the main character is thinking, so he has someone yeah. to talk to, so he's not just narrating everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and it, it's it's one of those simple things that uh, it probably comes more from that function than from like a pure creative standpoint. I think Tano was introduced so he and the masked man could, in their conversation back and forth, explain all the things that a narrator would be telling uh, the audience. Uh, if, I mean, uh, otherwise you could end up getting sort of an internal monologue. Uh, everybody sounds like Rorschach. You know, if you're doing a radio show and you don't have a narrator, then you, you know, you have to have someone that just talks to himself. And after a while, that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, now, two characters that I don't necessarily call or would consider sidekicks, but I'm not really sure what they fall under, would be Iron Man's Jarvis and then Alfred from Batman. They're not really sidekicks, but... Yeah, that's, it's, it's a good question, actually. I mean, Alfred is... Uh, yeah, he, he is sort of a... He's become at times like a sidekick uh, or, uh, you know, uh, he's kind of like a... Um, like the the role that Q plays in James Bond, I mean, he's he's sort of like a facilitator, like a uh, uh, a colleague in arms, you know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he I think he would fall short of being a sidekick. I, I think almost always sidekick. I'm not sure it's official, but it seems to me that they're almost always younger. Yeah, than that's the person true. that they're kicking beside. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, I, I don't know that if that's a hard, fast rule. Like, I think Sherlock Holmes was maybe younger than Dr. Watson, which would be like maybe the, the real signature uh, sidekick uh, of early film. You know, like, I mean, Sherlock Holmes has been in more movies than any other uh, character from fiction, which is amazing. Um, yeah. But again, that goes back to that public domain thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. So, but uh, yeah, I think... Uh, the sidekick is, has seen better days, but uh, certainly an 80th anniversary is a big one. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, giving Robin his due. I mean, I think the guy, it's tough to run around in those tights. Uh, he's done a lot of good work in a really bright costume. <laughs> yeah, um, especially at night. Yeah. You know, you have to really wonder if Batman was looking out for his best interest with that decision. Yeah. But, uh, Here, I'm going to wear all black and you can wear red and green and yellow at night so if they yeah. shoot at us they'll shoot at you first yeah yeah uh, it doesn't make much sense when you put it down uh like that does it but uh <laughs> you know robin uh, he had such a great spirit in the uh, especially in the early incarnation i mean batman was introduced in detective uh number 27 and robin was introduced in detective number 38 so there's not that many issues there where batman was on his own mm -hmm. you know if you think about his history that's really uh, just a handful of issues. Uh, they also started the series Batman uh, in that span too. Uh, but, but Robin was in Batman number one. Uh, so 
you know, Batman was, uh, was not a solo guy for very long. Uh, and the first time he hit the screen, which was back in the forties in the movie serials, Robin was right there at his side. Uh, and have you seen those by the way, Evan? I have actually, uh, I mean, some of my friends have watched a couple of them. They're interesting. And by interesting, do you mean craptacular? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. It, yes, it's true. So uh, saying, yeah. It's the boy wonder as a 40 year old man, but yeah, yeah, exactly. He looks like his name should be like, uh, Shemp. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what his deal was. Uh, it was not a good look. Uh, Batman's mask was really unfortunate. It's, it's hard to fight in a pillowcase. Yeah. Uh, but what can you do? So I'm kind of surprised that the series boys, the boys hasn't really gotten into a sidekick thing well if you think about it huey is kind of just the sidekick you know they kind of feature him as like the main character but if, if you treat uh billy butcher like the main character uh he's kind of the sidekick to the whole group yeah well you know it's a lot easier to relate to huey i mean he's like and he's that's the classic role of the sidekick is is that you know uh kids that were reading batman in 1939 you know wanted to go along on the adventure with Batman, but they didn't feel like him. Like he's too scary to be them. You know, uh, Butcher's too scary to be, you know, uh, Tyler Durden is too scary to be. So you want to be the guy that goes with him, even if, you know, we all saw that movie, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, and so the humanistic uh, eye level approach is to put someone in there in that primary role who the audience can identify with and, and what, better person to identify with in 1940 if you were a young comic book reader than a circus performer named Dick Grayson who uh, risks his life to to follow the the mysterious masked man known as Batman so uh, and you know even in literature there's a lot of precedent for that sort of eye level guy like you know great Gatsby you, you, you know Jay Gatsby is the mystery just like Butcher is the mystery mm-hmm. um, and uh, the detective in that case would be the primary character who is, you know, could be sitting in the audience with the, with the, the crowd. Yeah. Well, it's all very cool. But, uh, you know, we have a great episode ahead of us with Kyle and Michael. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about all things sidekicks. Yeah, let's jump into it. The, uh, the foolishness that I have in mind is that we're doing a show on sidekicks. So, Mr. Giltz, I was going to ask politely if you would be my wingman today uh, Michael <laughs> there Giltz, we go. uh freelance journalist uh and uh um uh, showbiz savant uh in on the east coast and an old college buddy of mine we went to school together at university of florida uh oh, go gators wow. yeah, yeah go gators and we are joined by our feature guest today mr kyle higgins how are you mr kyle higgins i'm doing well how about yourself nice I'm to meet doing- you michael it's nice to meet you too kyle the man who took a sidekick and made him nightwing <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, or tried to, <laughs> tried to, depending on the era you're talking about. Yeah. Well, no, your, your run on Nightwing uh, is one of the, uh, the signature uh, works of your career. And yeah. it's been a great career as a comics creator, as a writer, as a filmmaker. I know you got a lot of fun things mm-hmm. percolating and we'll talk about those. Um, this year is the 80th anniversary of Robin the Boy Wonder. Uh, That's true. Uh, and he doesn't look it. He wears it so well. He like he, not a wrinkle like that guy. It's amazing. well. That's actually that's actually why he got out of the shorts was because his cellulite was starting to show. Yeah. And just you know when you turn eighty, it's just he 
he owns it. Like, not going to lie. Like he could still do it. He could still yeah. throw him back on, but you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to make other 80 year olds feel bad. I think yeah. that's what it really boils down to. I can yeah. see that. You know, he is uh, he's, a, he's conscientious like that. Oh, absolutely. Know, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Robin wasn't the first sidekick, uh, but he may be the greatest sidekick. A lot of, I mean, there's an argument to be made for that. And, and uh, maybe one of you guys will make that, but um, when I say sidekick, it, there's, they're different. They're different than, partner right like uh it's not the same as an equal it's not the same as a a best buddy like lethal weapon there's no sidekick in lethal weapon right um but what, what does it take to be a sidekick i guess Let, let's start there kyle what do you what do you think is the term well i think i think there are a couple factors that that go into a successful sidekick uh and you know we could talk about it from the standpoint of in universe like in in story, um, the reasons why Dick Grayson became Robin, for example, or why Bucky Barnes becomes Captain America. Um, but then there are also the reasons from a creative standpoint as a outside, you know, breaking kind of the fourth wall as, as a writer, what do you get from writing a sidekick? Like what do you get narratively or emotionally that you don't get when you're writing Batman solo or you're writing Captain America solo, right? Yeah. So I think those are kind of the two different aspects to what makes for a good sidekick and why some characters have a sidekick and some don't. Um, I think for Robin in particular, um, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a famous, um, well, maybe not famous, but it's, it's pretty well known, I feel like, uh, for those that, that like this stuff that, um, as you say, it's his 80th anniversary and he came about in 1940 mm -hmm. and he was the creation really of, um, Bill Finger, uh, and, and Bob Kane, Jerry. I guess, uh, well, and Jerry Robinson, Jerry Robinson. <laughs> and, Jer and yes. And Jerry Robinson. Yeah. 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 And he debuted. Um, and one of the things that always bothered me, well, yeah, it's funny because I just, I've spoken about him in the past about how from a story standpoint he if batman does what he does because he mourns the death of his parents dick grayson does what he does because he celebrates his parents lives he grew up in a circus his life has always been about catching people when they fall and for him everything is robin is about finding the light in the world it's a, it's a large performance right and I have leaned into that in the past and and actually articulated it as like look there's a reason he chose bright bold primary colors for his costume. But the real reason is printing techniques back in the 19, in 1940, yeah. uh, really until the late eighties were left a lot to be desired. You know, it's why the Hulk changed from gray to green. Yeah. It's why a lot of your villains that why it's why so many of your heroes are blue and red and your villains are purple and green. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, I just saw too. Yeah, exactly. And there were print, there were registration errors all the time. And so some colors printed really well and some didn't, some were more consistent than others. Some printed better next to other colors. There was actually, a, I just saw something that I had never seen before. It was Jonathan Ross was speaking about, uh, it was an, an article from, I don't know how long ago, but Jonathan Ross was speaking about the time that he and Neil Gaiman met Steve Ditko. And one of the things that Jonathan Ross said that had never really been spoken about before was that Ditko kind of as an aside said to them, you know, they got the colors wrong on Spider-Man. Hmm. 
And he was like, what? And he goes, yeah, he was supposed to be purple and orange. Right. But they <laughs> colored him red and blue. And then just oh, wow. to think about that, you're like, what exactly, you know, what the hell would that look like? I always found that as a really interesting, um, like sometimes the reason behind the creative choice is actually far simpler than what the creative choice kind of um, becomes about in, mm -hmm. in almost like retroactively. But I do like to think that Robin chose red and green because they are brighter and they are more primary and they are, um, sure. um, they're kind of a more uh, optimistic kind of color scheme. But then on top of that, you also have the Errol Flynn um, yeah. influence there. And that's the thing that actually you want to talk about retroactive changes. Yeah, Robin Hood, um, right? It's Robin Hood. Like Robin comes from Robin Hood. But I remember when I was doing Nightwing for the New 52, New 52 in one of the attempts to modernize him for that era specifically. And I want to be clear about that because the mandate and the edict was even though the Batman continuity was technically going to stand, they wanted everything to feel kind of contemporary and, and, and rethought. And so the note was that his origin comes from Robin the bird. Right. And I was like, but that's not where his origin comes from. Right. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, no one cares about Robin Hood anymore. Like Robin Hood in, in the year 1940 meant a lot more. You don't have, you know, the, you don't have Zorro as the movie that Batman, depending on the sliding timeline, Zorro is not the movie that, Bruce and his parents went to see right, in the theater, right. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So that was like a really interesting kind of weird little quirk where suddenly I found myself writing an origin story about a bracelet with Robins on it that was given to him by his mother, even though in my heart of hearts, I know like, well, that's not really. Yeah, that's not true <laughs> you know? to the, the, the lore. We're reinventing it for no reason other than just to reinvent it. And but that is the name of the game when it's not your character and it's not your creation, you know? Yeah. Um, so you just, you just lean in and do the best job you can with something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but then to get back to your original question, Jeff, sorry, cause I totally tangented there. No problem. Um, I think though, like creatively then, I think the things that you gain by having a sidekick when you're writing a superhero with a superhero plus sidekick is you, you can do more in dialogue for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you can provide a different perspective on an idea, on a concept, on a villain than maybe the hero was thinking. Or maybe if something is more complicated or there's more nuance to it, you can now go through this in dialogue rather than everything being internal monologue or thought bubbles back in the day. Right. Um, you also have the opportunity for a kind of um, proverbial father-son um, mm -hmm. kind of relationship or, or mother and son or mother and daughter. Like there is something to that that you can bring to it um definitely mentor mentee which is a whole other type of you know mm -hmm. dynamic as well um and then if uh if you're if 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 you're ed brubaker you know you can just go yeah. well that dude's dead so that there's a lot i could mine from that yeah. Yeah. and just bring them back and create this fantastic new character that is the best example of what you can do with a sidekick when you define the sidekick outside of their relationship with the mentor. Sure. The winter soldier is the gold standard because sure. if you, anything I, you were to, if I were to say anything about the winter soldier as a character, the fact that he used to be Bucky is not, the, it's not even in like the top, doesn't even have to be in the top three first descriptors of the character. Whereas right. Nightwing, 
you do still kind of have to say used to be Robin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And the, the, the protege, um, story, uh, for those two characters went in such different directions, you know, Robin yeah. and Bucky, um, one tragic and, and, and one not so tragic, uh, Michael, though, there's a lot of different kind of energies with the, the sidekick and, and they don't necessarily have to be younger. They also don't necessarily have to be in comics. What are, what are some of the sidekicks that uh, spring to mind for you? Well, I was playing the real sidekick here. I was being quiet until awesome. I had the little opening. You know, I didn't say anything. I wanted to jump in about 10 times because Kyle was saying <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff. Robin Hood, oh, of course. <laughs> Robin, no, 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 you're doing great. The way Robin Hood, uh, we picture, that was just 1938, just two years before they introduced Robin the Boy Wonder. So that's clearly right in the top of people's mind, probably in England, he was probably in brown, right? Because I mean, that's going to help you stand out in the forest more than the bright green might not be the best call with the red, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, also the, right in that time, um, 1939 was Tarzan. And uh, boy. And yeah, Tarzan finds a son, uh, which which I, you have to think influenced the idea of Robin yeah. the Boy Wonder. I mean, that's too, too hard to, to ignore. Michael, yeah. before you keep going, do you think at all that, Robin Hood, you bring up a really interesting point about the color. That Errol Flynn Robin Hood was an early Technicolor film. Yeah. And those real bold, saturated greens and reds, like we, that was something that we hadn't really seen before in cinema. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that went at all into the, the coloration of, of the, the costume design and things like that, just like playing to the strengths of the format? Oh, absolutely. It was bright. It was more real than real life. They, everything they designed was to make it pop on the screen. You have mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz where you walk from black and white into color and it's not color, it's color. So yeah, everything they did was designed to make it like 3D in terms of color. You just went, wow, that it's is insane. the most green outfit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's insane. It's like Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so poppy. Everything was designed to light it and make it seem more vivid than real life as it was of course but robin of course i would think the main reason you'd want a, a sidekick is you can put someone in danger mm. <laughs> yeah that's, that's right. a, i missed that one <laughs> that's right that's right or someone to save the hero uh, conversely you know rarely but yeah he could do a little help by accident of course he it depends on in... the it depends on the era right yeah. like i just realized i've never written that because in 2015 2020 it's such a trope to put mm -hmm. the sidekick in danger that you just don't do it anymore. But you're totally right. Like the number, I mean, the demon's quest alone is Robin. Robin and Talia al Ghul are being mm -hmm. held by, well, it's actually Raish as part of a trial, spoiler alert. But oh, man. that whole, that's the whole motive. That's Raish al Ghul's entire first story is about, hey, we can connect because my daughter and your sidekick, your ward, are both being held hostage right now. Yeah. yeah, well, um, Jeff asked me who's the, you know, when he said to come on the show, we're going to talk about sidekicks. And you guys know a lot more about comics than I do, though I love them. Yeah. I'm trying to think, what's the first sidekick? There must be one before this, but the first one I can think of is Dr. Watson. Oh, with Sherlock yeah. Holmes. And he's mm -hmm. there, of course, to be, you know, hey, well, Holmes, how could they possibly know that? That's not possible. How do you know yeah. that? And then Holmes can explain it to him and us. He's the dumb sidekick, like Ed McMahon. Yeah, yeah, the guy to, to like set the volleyball up for the, the, the head guy to come in and, 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 and spike it. Uh, yeah, and it's also a way, uh, Dr. Watson is a, is a way sort of to represent the reader's point of view of being astonished and constantly perplexed and help me out with this, Sherlock. And then also gives us a way to, Sherlock can monologue, but we don't have access to his inner thoughts. It still keeps him somewhat away since we're closer to Watson in our perspective. But I think, you know, um, uh, Pancho Sanza, 
uh, you know, we, um, I mean, that's that predates uh, uh, Dr. Watson. So if three, four hundred years, I guess. Well, and if you yeah, I, you could go back to Gilgamesh, mm -hmm. which is hard to beat because that's 2000 BC. And that's that one sure. uh, that's got Enkidu, the wild man is his uh, becomes his it starts off as his slave. Uh, and 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 an opponent, but over time the character was rewritten to be his buddy, and then eventually his his equal, and then uh, and a lot of people say his his lover. Like it, a lot of people read it as homoerotic text. Um, Hence the, the 1950s controversy around Batman. That's but, right. But I mean, Kyle, you you you've seen Robin. When does a sidekick start to be a sidekick? Because Robin goes from being just the kid to someone who's in danger to someone who helps a little bit. And now he's his own man. Well, so much of that transition, and, and I don't know if it had been done before. Um, I wasn't aware of it, at least. Um, but that transition is really um, thanks solely to Marv Wolfman and George Perez. So at the height of um, the height of the 80s, I believe it actually happened in 1985, they were in the midst of their um, really kind of seminal uh, Teen Titans and then new, uh, new, new Teen Titans run. And during that point, um, he had two sidekicks that decided to, to, they had two sidekicks that decided at the same time to give up their mantles, which was uh, Wally West, Kid Flash, and Dick Grayson, who was Robin. Um, and that had been, I've, I've actually, I've talked to Marv about this before because, you know, again, like it's, he's my all time favorite character. So when I took over the book, almost 10 years ago now. Um, I did it for about three years. I did, I did the whole new 52 run. Um, Marv and I had lunch early on just to, you know, talk about the character, talk about why he did certain things and his kind of um, perspective on, on the character. And at that time, um, there was this feeling like we'd really kind of told all the Dick Grayson stories that we could tell. Um, and he, there, there's something more interesting to do here, um, especially with him starring and leading the new Teen Titans. But that required doing something that had never really been done in comics before, which was superhero comics, which was allowing a character to get older. Hmm. And so when you think about it, like the fact that they kept him as Robin for 45 years is actually pretty remarkable, um, especially in this day and age, right? Like he's had like, Batman's had like six Robins since or seven since. Um, and, you know, that, that's the thing that I, I, I remember when I first heard that Dick Grace, like Robin had now become Nightwing. It was like in the DC Marvel uh, event in the mid nineties. I'd been watching Batman, the animated series and the Burt Ward, Adam West show as well. And Dick Grayson's just Robin. And then all of a sudden, this miniseries in the mid-90s, it's like Dick Grayson used to call himself Robin. Now he goes by a new name, Nightwing. And I was like, does anyone else know this happened? Like, what? How did this? <laughs> yeah. And it had happened, you know, 10, 10 years earlier. Um, but there was no bar mitzvah or anything. There was, like yeah, like <laughs> there was no, I didn't get the memo. I wasn't on the invite list. Um, but I do think, like, when you look back on it, now you kind of take it for granted, like characters changing changing their name, changing their mantle. But like, that was a really, really bold swing um, back in the mid eighties. And yeah, I mean. It's gonna be a real challenge when you're a costume superhero and people don't know who you are and you change to a different costume and a different name, but you want everybody to know it's you. 
Like that's so, gotta be a tough transition. Like, how do you do that? Like I, I'm him, I promise, I swear this, I, I, I know, I, I mean, how do you? It's so funny, you, it's so funny you say that because I just reread Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel's uh, Nightwing Year One miniseries. And when he, when Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing in it, the, there's an entire issue that is, uh, it's him and Batgirl teaming up and it's all about like, well, we better go introduce you. And so it's, it's just them beating up bad guys to like cement this new identity. And then he goes to Arkham specifically to rattle the Joker's cage. And like, it's a really fine line to walk because you need the Joker to recognize that this is Robin, but you don't need him. He can't be so recognizable that it breaks the illusion of the medium where you go like, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah. How do I not recognize the rest of your face? You know, like yeah. it's just this little domino mask. Um, but it was a, it was a pretty, it's something I hadn't thought about before, but it's like, oh yeah. Like how do you, how yeah, do I you think I remember reading that rebrand? That as a yeah, I remember reading that now that you say it out like that. Um, that's did you, interesting. Did you love Robin because he was the uncool one? Because I liked Paul rather than John, because I thought John Lennon got all the love and Paul McCartney <laughs> was sort of dorky. And Robin, yeah. the boy wonder was of course, probably mocked by other kids when you were growing up. So what made him your favorite character? He's not dangerous like Speedy. I th- <laughs> well, I mean, uh, he likes needles just as much. Um, <laughs> no, um, uh, he doesn't like needles, actually. No, uh, I, so. no I, um, I, you know, I was thinking about that today because I figured that was going to come up here. And I've always had this weird affinity for um, secondary characters. Like, I, I really loved Havoc growing up because he was Cyclops' brother. I loved, there was like a weird character in the nineties, the steel spider who was only in like two issues. And then I think 10 years later, Warren Ellis killed him in Thunderbolts. And I think that was literally his next appearance. Uh, but it was like these characters and, and certainly, um, certainly the winter soldier later when I was in college and then, uh, but, but Nightwing is like the, the foremost for me. I think it has something to do with like, a weird inferiority complex that I, I, an insecurity I had growing up where it was like, like I, you would think that I wasn't the oldest. You would think maybe I had an older brother or something, but it's not the case. And I get along with my dad. Great. So I have no idea where it comes from other than I never felt like I could be Batman, but I felt like I could be Robin. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be Batman. He's like a rageaholic. Well, there there is that. Yeah. Oh, the Scarlet Spider. That's the other one. That's the one I was blanking on. I loved the Scarlet Spider. I I do think there is something to, especially where I grew up in Illinois, there was something to that kind of core idea of getting out from under someone's shadow. Mm -hmm. And that can be parental. It can be a mentor. It can be a brother. It could be friends, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of friends and within the friends group of the neighborhood, I was absolutely like the last one picked for, you know, baseball or the last one uh, that, that got called to, to hang out or to play, you know, in the backyards. And so I think there was an aspect of that too, where it was like, well, these, you know, these characters are now carving their own path in life. And like, mm. that's interesting to me, you know? Yeah. I find, I thought Robin was always accessible and like seemed like a prince instead of a king. He seemed, therefore he just seemed kind of cooler because he cared about teenager stuff and he, he wasn't like, a, I don't know. There's also a little less responsibility to being Robin than there is being Batman, you know? But what about film? Do we, uh, Michael, do we see sidekicks in film much? Not not so much anymore. 
Well, right. not so, well. You mean comic book movies or no? I mean, just mean in general films. I'm just trying to think. I mean, like short round. Uh, you know, like, you, know. <laughs> you see, you see duos. I think, but you don't see you don't see sidekicks so much. And, and I'm yeah. noticing late night television. Of course, when you think of sidekicks, you think of Ed McMahon. You mm -hmm. think of Andy Richter. Um, that is gone from the late night landscape. I don't believe there's a talk show right now with a sidekick. Sometimes wow. the musical host tries to play that role a little bit, but it's right, not the yeah. same. But when I think about Robin's journey and he grows older and becomes his own man, that reminds me not of movies, but of comic strips, which yeah. I, I know a little bit more. And of course, Gasoline Alley was, I think, the first comic strip that aged. People grew older year by year. And then there's Terry and the Pirates, which is such oh, a, yeah. a funny comic strip because that started in 34, six years before Robin popped up. Mm -hmm. And Terry is the sidekick. It's named after the sidekick. I mean, Pat Ryan is the hero. He's the tough talking journalist who gets all the girls. And Terry is just a kid along for the ride. But by the time of World War II comes, eight years, nine years later, Terry has grown up a little bit and now he's becoming a pilot and he's off having his own adventures. We don't even see Pat Ryan for months at a time. And yeah. just like Robin, Terry became his own man and sort of, you know, felt his oats and got the girls sometimes. Wow. And it, there's something in the air uh, in that decade about the sidekicks because uh, a, a year before Terry and the Pirates was uh, the, the premiere of The Lone Ranger uh, on, uh, on WXYZ uh, in Detroit. And it was written by the same guy who uh, co-created, but it's mostly because the producer took credit, but <laughs> the other guy did all the work, uh, as far as I can tell. But uh, Fran Stryker and, and the other guy. But um, uh, the creation of Tonto, and he also created Green Hornet and Cato. So uh, the Green Hornet is a great grandson, I believe, of the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is John Reed and Green Hornet is Brit Reed. So I think it's sort of fascinating. That's like the first universe, like like where you had multi-franchise universe. Uh, but it was these two radio shows. And radio, more than any other medium, um, I would think the sidekick is valuable because if the Lone Ranger is at the uh, top of a ridgeline and sees six outlaws uh, down below, um, how is he going to communicate that to the audience? Yeah. Uh, what better way than have Tonto there go, hmm, Kimasabi, they, they're down there. You know, um, <laughs> Uh, it, it just makes perfect sense. It, it's unfortunate that the the two creations, Tonto and Kato, would end up being creating a lot of baggage for a lot of cultural stereotypes for people, uh, for uh, for those characters. But then also those characters would become beloved, uh, and uh, and their performance uh, were were done in a uh, actually very dignified and and uh, memorable way by Bruce Lee uh, in the case of Cato and Jay Silverheels for Tonto. Um, Lone Ranger real quickly too. People forget how big a deal the Lone Ranger was when it came on. It was, um, it was the first uh, hit show in the history of ABC. It, it made the network. ABC's first hit was the Lone Ranger. It was the first Western on television. There was no Westerns on television before the Lone Ranger. Um, and it was a mega success instantly. And, and, uh, and Tonto was a big part of that, even though it's, like I said, complicated as the years would go by. And Johnny Depp would play the character. Not helping is that the word Depp uh, means uh, dumb in German and Tonto means stupid in, in Spanish. Uh, I'm not sure what we're supposed to take from that other than uh, it's really unfortunate that the character got that name. And then you mentioned Short Round. You made a, a quick reference to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is, of course, a movie from 1980s, but it's set in 1935. So there's That's a right. sidekick again, all, always back in that era. But That's Robin, right. of, you know, Robin is, a, is one of the iconic ones for sure. 
Yeah, and then you think about the spirit sidekick, uh, Ebony, which is just the most painful, I mean, for such a graceful and, and wonderful uh, body of work that Will Eisner has uh, with the spirit, such a sad black eye, excuse the expression that it has with, with that character, you know, because of the, the cultural baggage that comes with that. Terry and the Pirates has a ton of racism too, although one can argue it's, uh, some of it's not so bad, but happily Batman doesn't have that baggage, does it, Kyle? Uh, I, I mean, not from a, a racism standpoint that I'm that I'm aware of, uh, but there's there's plenty of other, uh, you know, you you touched on some of the 1950s uh, fears of, um, uh, you know, homosexual overtones and and uh, the relationship between Batman and Robin, and then Grant came out in that article 10 years ago and he said yeah of course of course that's there you know grant morrison <laughs> um and that was like oh man uh you know i remember getting a note at one point that was like be careful of and i don't even remember what it was about but it was like it was like in the air just based on you know yeah. grant having done this interview one of the things i find really fascinating though whether it's batman or just dc in general is when you look at the dc lineup of characters and you look at marvel for many years, sidekicks were not a thing that Marvel did, mm. um, with the exception of really Bucky. Um, whereas at DC, you have you have Speedy, you have Aqualad, you have yeah. Robin, you have um, Kid Flash, you have Impulse, you have Superboy. Like yeah. you have, it's just like it. The characters are. I've I've always just found it fascinating, like the core that. DC characters are the core that DC characters are built on and the core that Marvel characters are built on definitely has a little bit of, in my mind anyway, like a parallel between, you know, the gods and the flawed Titans. Mm -hmm. But the dynamic between hero and sidekick is absolutely something that you feel like you would, you would bring over if you're Marvel and you're building out these flawed Titans that, you know, the idea that it's like the epitome of like, and you were taught under someone else and you have a complicated relationship with them, et cetera. Whereas Mar the DC characters, those were the gods that we look up to and you could never really be Superman, but like Superman could save you, you know, yeah. um, the sidekick in a, in a, in a certain way for DC became a really human uh, and relatable quality to some of the, their um, families of characters that otherwise um, I always found DC for this very reason to be a bit, um, inaccessible to me like there or at least not inaccessible but um hard to relate to growing up you know and I, I found myself more of a marvel kid because of that you know um justice is blind great power comes great responsibility and yeah. um jekyll and hyde with the hulk and you know these these foundational kind of flaws that are baked in there i yeah. just always found it interesting that marvel never really explored the sidekick angle um as fully as dc did yeah, they had them in the golden age. They just, you know, I mean, Toro with the Human Torch, Bucky with Cap, and then, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as they brought Cap back, they got rid of Bucky uh, until, although they had them in flashback quite a lot in the 60s. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that they were trying to, you know, with the Fantastic Four and with Spider-Man, and um, uh, once the Marvel 
uh, momentum started building in the early 60s, I think they, they were trying to separate themselves from not brand X, as they called it, the DC, where the bank robbers wore ties and stuff, and they wanted to be, you know, edgier and stuff. And, and also, I think if you're Spider-Man, how do you have a sidekick? Because you are the sidekick. You're, yeah, you know, exactly. Spider-Man's, the, I think Spider-Man's it, younger than Actually, Robin. you know what? That's a really, that's a great point. Like, they they did do a thing that DC never really did, which was they enabled teenage superheroes to be heroes in their own right. The they X-Men and yeah. Spider-Man. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and true. they were inherently flawed. You know, yeah. they were human as opposed to Superman, who's a god. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Marvel, you know, um, it's almost the powers. You, if you get the powers, it's, it's an affliction. Like the heroes get it. It's, it's, it, they get it because it comes attached with some sort of heartbreak. Like either your heart doesn't work or your right. hands don't work or you're, you know, you, you, you got blown up and now you're, uh, you know, rageaholic. And now, you know, I mean, everybody's damaged goods. Uh, well, but that's and, why and I like the, yeah, that's why I like the bad characters so much is they felt the most like Marvel characters to me, like at oh, DC, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like, well, the Marvel and, villains the are pulp. heroes. Yeah. Marvel yeah. villains are almost heroes in some ways, you know, the, um, the tradition of the European shelf bookshelf too, like, you know, Sherlock Holmes and Dracula and, and, uh, Alan Quartermain and, and, uh, all the Jules Verne characters, they're all, you know, aristocrats. They don't have jobs. They, they, they're counts and they, they have like, they have manners and they, 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 they're like armchair detectives and such. Um, and DC comes from that, you know, like uh, you, you can't just be Sherlock Holmes, you know, and right. you can't just be Superman, but you could be Spider-Man because he just got bit by a bug. I mean, like, you know, like how hard is it to get bit by a spider? You yeah. know, like uh, I can't be Batman because like he was, he was, even before his parents got killed, he was born in a billion because of his, his birthright. Right. You know, Aquaman's the king of the ocean. Wonder Woman's the princess of this. Everybody's, a, uh, you know, royalty. Uh, you know, in Marvel, it's like some of the guys used to be crooks. <laughs> some of them got bit by a bug. You know, it's not, yeah. it's very, it's low rent. So what, what do you think the closest thing to a contemporary sidekick, whether it's in TV or cinema, actually is in this, in this day and age? It's like, I think it's becoming droids. I think <laughs> well, like, R2-D2 yeah, was the sidekick and the yeah. hero. Yeah, who's the sidekick, R2 or C-3PO? Like, <laughs> you could argue that C-3PO is a sidekick. <laughs> well, he is to the R2, for sure, but they're yeah. the sidekicks to Luke. Yeah. And of course, like many sidekicks, they play a key role at certain points, and you can say they're the hero of the whole story. But it's hard looking through the pop culture today. I think everybody is so open to their flaws and limitations that they don't need that sidekick to humanize them. Uh, the last time I can see a sidekick in pop culture is even maybe the eighties. A lot of British bands, music bands mm. would have someone come up on stage and just dance like madness. One of my favorite bands, they had oh, Chaz okay. smash who would just get up there and dance a little bit. He wasn't, he didn't play an instrument. He didn't sing. He didn't write the songs. He was just sort of, he was sort of a, a sidekick and he just, and you'd say, well, I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, but I can do that. I can stand up there and, you know, dance around a little bit. And they all had these sidekicks that just popped up on stage and everybody knew them and there they were. But I feel like today that has fallen by the wayside. You don't see that much anymore. That's fun. I think that's more of a mascot than a sidekick. I don't know. Sure. But sometimes that's all a sidekick is. Yeah. Snapper Carr in the old Justice League comic Oh, he, yeah. He was just a, he, all he did was snap his fingers. I mean, that's pretty much a mascot. That's like a, that's <laughs> a guy on the side of the band on the side of the stage dancing. Um, we did, we did see some sidekicks in, in sort of retro fitted in, like, I mean, obviously winter soldier stuff uh, has a lot of sidekick influence in it, but also, you know, Watchmen had some sidekick stuff, uh, uh, the boys, I mean, like it sprinkled in there. Like it's, uh, I think, you know, and we have the teen Titans television show. 
Um, yeah, I guess I was so, thinking, I guess I was wondering outside of like, like outside of super adaptations. Stuff. No, it's a yeah, good, yeah, it's yeah. a fair question. I, I, I guess little robots uh, and, and uh, like group type things maybe like are, are you know, like oh, they're, yeah. they're kind of, they're more pet like. Is Chewbacca a sidekick or is he a pet? I mean, he's a, he's a, he didn't get a medal. Those are, those are, those are war Loaded. inciting yeah. words, uh, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, no cow. disrespect. I mean, I, he didn't get, get a medal. Angry. He didn't get a medal. I still get angry at that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and even in the new one, they did not make amends. She gets yeah. to fly the Millennium Falcon. Give me a break. That's, it's, that's not right. It's a Leia doesn't even go and hug him. No. After now, the great, the great dies. tradition of, uh, of sidekicks uh, in the great lore is where did Chewbacca come from? Of course, now he was inspired by George Lucas's cross-country drive with his large pet. What was the dog? Do you know? It was a what, Malamute. Is that a is that a large dog? Was the dog's name Indiana? <laughs> oh wait, no, was it? Yeah, the dog's name was Indiana, oh, and he sat in that passenger seat the whole trip, and it inspired Lucas to create. Uh, a hirsute wingman, uh, but at the same time, the character uh, Indiana Jones was also a namesake of this. This very, very—I did not know that—inspiring uh, canine muse. <laughs> a canine muse. The canine muse is exactly what he was. Well, I don't know. Psychics seem to be on the on the way out. Is it just we don't like we don't like the diminutive uh, hit girl? What about hit girl? She was a sidekick. Yeah. I do think reason. I do think there's it's you probably have an easier time with it with the dynamic when you're riffing on the conventions of superhero and comic book storytelling. Al but Gore? like what about Al Gore? Oh, <laughs> I count? think we have teams now. I think you have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you just wouldn't call the rest of the gang sidekicks. You would just call them right. the part of the team. They all have a role to play at some point. Even it's an entourage. It's an entourage. Exactly. We've moved into the entourage. Yeah, it's it's almost like I wonder if I wonder if writers, whether consciously or subconsciously, have have played that out or watched that play out long enough in other media where they go like, "There's only so many stories I can get out of this person being a sidekick, as opposed to being a partner where it's more of a two-hander." You know, mm -hmm. um, I've never really thought about that before, but. Yeah, BB-8, the droids, I think. But again, that's all riffing on pretty established conventions. Sure. Um, people, people don't seem to be digging on, I mean, we just had a Lone Ranger movie, right? That was hugely expensive and with Tonto and people didn't seem to feel it. Um, yeah. You know, I heard so. that movie's not as bad as, I never saw it, but I heard it's not as bad as people made it out to be. It's not. It, it's 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 okay. It's got some really good performances in it, actually. I, I was on the set of that movie, and I, I I was on that train. They built a train from scratch, an entire nineteenth-century wow. train, and and laid eight miles of rail in the desert. And I and I sat on that train and looked at the intricate like carvings and every uh, bench inside, and like they're not going to make this budget back. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, this is like John Carter all over again. It's like John Carter yeah. with Spurs. What are you doing? You can't spend $250 million on this. And the finale um, of the Lone Ranger actually works. It has a great little uh, musical cue that they play off nicely. It just, yeah. and it has a nice larky tone, but it is by no means a good movie. It's right. just yeah. not that bad. Right. Well, I do think it, and this is a whole other podcast, but I do find it pretty, I do find that 
the the current kind of climate of uh, has to be based on intellectual property. Um, really fascinating uh, because you run out of intellectual property, and so <laughs> when when you're at the point like sure. The Lego movie is better than it has any right to be. Like sure. by okay. far, by f unbelievable. It's but great. When you're, but when you're talking about like, we're going to make a movie based on shoots and ladders because and shoots and ladders. Wheels. And I, yeah, it's like yeah. the tail's wagging the dog, you know? Yeah. Like, well, Battleship, I mean, look at yeah. the mind yeah. reels, the mind point, reels. Point made. <laughs> exactly. You know, I thought one new sidekick, uh, um, I mean, it's based. It's a an adaptation, but not like a classic. Uh, mm -hmm. Is in Spider Man these days. Is is uh, Jason Batalon's character really is the classic sidekick? He oh, covers yeah, for Peter Parker. Him. Yeah, the the the, the heavy set friend. Yeah, yeah, yep. and it's a, a young actor from Hawaii, Jason Batalon, and he's a, yep. a got he's got very good comic timing, and I think he's the classic uh, he, sidekick. So, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead no, please. no, he is, but he has so little to do. He barely registers, you know. Yeah. In terms of he's a good actor and he did good in his part, but he had so little to do in terms of the story and the plot. He really was just there minor moments to sort of humanize and bring a little humor as opposed to a real psychic that might be partnered with him and do things. Right. Maybe right. he's not his laptop. Part. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's so true. because, I mean, we are recording this the night before Spider-Man Miles Morales comes out for nice. PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. And you just touched on something, Jeff, there with the character of Ned, who is, uh, I didn't know that actor's name, but that, that's the, the character's name, who in the new Spider-Man movies is Peter Parker's yeah. uh, best friend. And this actually, it's slightly tangential, but I do think it's connected to all of this because per a few minutes ago talking about like, well, why aren't we creating more sidekicks? Oh, it's better as two-handers now, um, potentially at least for what it allows you to do um, creatively. That character, Ned, and the backdrop of Miles Morales Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man is fascinating. That character is actually Miles Morales' best friend in the comic books. Mm -hmm. And the movie, the new movies, yeah. are pulling some of these elements from the Miles Morales books to update high school Peter Parker. Sure. And this led to a conversation I had with some friends the other day um, and they brought something up that I had never thought of before where they said they, in their opinion, Peter Parker and Marvel's desire to keep him relevant hmm. hurts Miles Morales because it relegates Miles in a way that he can't ever be so much cooler than Peter because then Peter is no longer relevant and he's been spider-man since the 1960s you know well, i mean he's co-opting the characters i mean it's the same character title so i mean it's going to be it it's going to be either i mean you could argue he's already cooler like i mean universe is very cool i yes. mean it's hard to get cooler than that um but you know i mean it's they're all under the same brand i i don't know that miles morales is 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 blocked by peter parker i mean he probably is to a certain extent there's only so many spider stories that can get through to you know the screen but i mean it's such a, a i think it's almost a i look at it the other way is what a great way to breathe energy into the brand by creating yeah. you know a, a character that's not a sidekick but is is uh supplemental um i just find but i just find that whole dynamic really fascinating because mm -hmm. 
what we were talking about before where you're not in comics usually at least superhero comics like the the idea of allowing a character to grow up and get older is so loaded and up through the 90s peter absolutely was getting older like for a point in time like things actually mattered in comics like the death of gwen stacy um norman osborne dying as well like um, he marries Mary Jane, uh, Mary Jane's pregnant. Like there were these big moments that happened throughout the seventies and eighties on the Spider-Man line. And then some rumblings, the nineties yeah. clone saga, uh, Ben Riley was an attempt to get Peter back to being an independent bachelor because, Oh, we'll just bring in another version of Peter and say, this is the, real one and he can be what our current peter no longer can be anymore um and that all culminated in a massive way with one more day where literally a deal with the devil with mephisto is how they got rid of the peter and mary jane marriage and Mm -hmm. since then i mean dan dan slot's run is is spectacular uh and amazing uh but (laughs) at the same time like there you look at where Peter is now and you look at where he was and there's, there's a, it's almost like we're afraid to push him too far Mm -hmm. um, because we want him to still be what he was in the sixties rather than embracing that miles can be that now. Um, well, because I mean, they're looking at it as a brand. They, they mm-hmm. you, you got to protect your brand. If, if the brand, if the character does not become rec- becomes unrecognizable, is no longer uh, you can no longer protect the trademark. Like you, you can't change it so much that you can't still sell pajamas and toys. Mm-hmm. Because in the at the end, in the end, all the comic book mythology, especially now, is in service of the the retail beast. I mean, it's and and the the. Uh, the, the, you know, the films even are, are selling, I mean, video games matter more uh, than movie tickets at this point. Um, but it's, they're not going to go towards something that's going to shake up the apple cart, you know, when, when they're selling apples. Spidey is not joining the AARP. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just think if Robin would be like Irishman. I would write, right I would write the hell out of that story. I just want you to would. point out right now. Well, it's like anybody- I was, I was in a summit once, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out uh, Azarello for this. Uh, I don't think he'd mind. I was in a summit once, and um, Dan DiDio was uh, opining about how, um, like, look, Batman's never gonna get over the death of his parents. It's just not gonna happen. Like that's, it's fundamental to the character. He's not gonna sit down with a psychologist and go hey doc thanks like i'm cured and as in this room filled with people as goes can i swear on this by the way or not Jeff? sure fuck yeah, yeah. yeah okay so in this room full of people as goes i'd write the fuck out of that story <laughs> and the, <laughs> the whole room lost it because we all went yeah he absolutely would and i that's would awesome. read it I, w- I am there for it you know that's great and, any- and anyone who could combine unionizing with superheroes is is already proven that that's right. Well, I, I don't know. Are we talking about Azarello or I didn't know you. Like that too. you. Oh, okay. All right. Talking about you. <laughs> All right. I, just, I had a little bit of a cognitive uh, dissonant moment there <laughs> where I was like, uh, I think I, I think I did that. It sounded like me. Yeah, no, yeah. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Well, fantastic guys. Um, I, the sidekick, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel sad for the, the sidekick. I, I feel like we hardly knew him. I, I feel like we kicked him to the curb. I'll bring him back. Maybe we could do a Kickstarter for sidekicks. <laughs> The side kickstarter 
Uh, nah, forget it. Maybe we can just get a sidecar. Uh, that was the best reason for. I, I would hate to be in the sidecar. You know, what, yeah. isn't that tough for like uh, 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 you know, for Robin, like when they're or Bucky back in the forties when they're in the the motorcycle. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's a twenty twenty sidecar look like? Because is that a euphemism for something? I don't uh, like. I have fear about it. <laughs> uh <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know it probably is i, I just had a moment of panic uh, i just think burt ward proved you could be the sidekick and make out very well indeed so yes exactly. <laughs> adam west is in his dressing room reading a magazine burt ward is welcoming all the guests <laughs> is that what happened oh yeah have you have you ever seen the adam west and william shatner Alec, alexander the great tv series that they no. the pilot that they did three years before star trek no yes it's go to youtube if you want to see something that will haunt your dreams uh like it's it's adam west and bill shatner sharing a horse wearing togas in an alexander the great pilot it's got joseph cotton in it like oh. like what happened to, to joseph cotton from Susan Kane to this moment, like I just I look at this and I'm just like, oh my lord, this poor man. Why is he on the screen while this is happening? But uh, wow. yeah, it's it's uh, it's craptacular. <laughs> and and in it, Adam West is the sidekick. Not probably not the one Alexander the Great deserved though. Exactly. I mean, it's Alexander the Great, and they weren't ready for that in the in the early '60s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I guess the show title suggests. I mean, since it was called Alexander the Great, that Adam West would have to be a sidekick because there's there's no other. It's not like Hardcastle and McCormick. There's no second name, <laughs> you know. So it's hard to be the 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 second banana. Well, uh, second bananas. Adam West, William Shatner, YouTube. You guys check that out. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very funny. But thanks for joining us here today. I think this was uh, probably the most fun I've had on this podcast. So thank you so much. Today, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I meant. So yeah. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys. Awesome. Thanks My a pleasure. Lot. Yep. Cheers. Well, it was a very fun uh, conversation you had with the two guys. Um, I really enjoyed seeing what I'll call a dangerous dynamic duo between you and Michael. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know what it is, is uh, we talk to each other like old friends because, you know, he, he he's known me since I was uh, 18 years old. You know, uh, we met back in 1988. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Michael and, and uh, uh, it's uh, it was awfully nice to have him on the show. I think we should do that more often. Uh, and, you know, he, he has a great podcast that you need to check out. I've been on it as a guest over the years, probably four or five, maybe six times all the way back to, I think like 20, 13 maybe um and it's called uh showbiz sandbox uh and uh his last name is gilts g-i-l-t-z which is like glitz but different <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's a slight difference but it you know you were saying in the beginning how you and him you know know a lot about different things and so when you guys put your minds together it's a little scary because it's like there's no stone left unturned <laughs> yeah there's definitely a, a lot of uh a rubble and rocks being being uh, turned around for sure. Yeah, they, uh, we have a, a a good amount of knowledge between us. If he had been with me on Jeopardy, probably <laughs> I probably if he had been there instead of me, he probably would have won. That's fine. That's hard. To, that's hard. That's difficult. <laughs> um, well, in the spirit of the great sidekick conversation, um, actually, hold on before we transition. I should sure. probably say it was great having 
Kyle and Michael on, we definitely want them to come back for a couple more of these, you know, panel discussions that we have. Um, they both were very insightful and uh, I was, I was kind of shocked, you know, both of them were just brought a lot to the table. And it was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think also uh, I, I like our approach of having a more concrete theme, you know, I think, uh, you know, coming with to them with a specific thing about sidekicks uh, gave it uh, a nice uh, through line. I think, and uh, and they're both very very bright. But we have yeah. to be careful; they'll just replace us, and and then we'll be gone. And yeah, I know. What good would that do? Yeah, that'll be the saddest email I ever get. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, on the theme of sidekicks this week, I know you have a great essential shelf pick that features the probably the best duo. Yeah, I I, uh, I went back to the very beginning for me uh, for this week's essential shelf, where we picked the graphic novels and comics that everybody should read if they get a chance. Um, my first favorite character, or the first one I really remember reading as a kid was uh, Batman. And the artist that really, really brought Batman to life for me was Neil Adams. Um, I was born in 1969, and the comics that we're picking, picking for Essential Shelf today came out, I believe, in like 1971, uh, 72. And they were um, in the sequence of Batman, the Batman series. Uh, but they've been collected up in uh, various graphic novel sort of formats since then, uh, anthology kind of uh, collections. Uh, they're written by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, and they're the, the, the storyline that um, presents Robin the Boy Wonder being kidnapped by a mysterious figure um, who we learn is the guy named Rothschild Ghoul, who would become a signature figure in Batman's, you know, mythology and, and the character that Liam Neeson played in Batman Begins and the character that uh, Christopher Nolan would use to unlock all the potential of the Batman mythology once he brought it to the screen in that film, Batman Begins. So uh, these uh, issues have real major landmark uh, value uh, in the Batman mythology. And for me, they're just a personal favorite uh, to see Robin in this incarnation is, is really cool. He's in the red costume, but he rocks it. He does, he's got no shame. He's got his motorcycle. He's, uh, he's going to Hudson University. He's out of Gotham. Um, and he's everything that Batman isn't as far as his energy. You know, he's, he's upbeat. He's excited about the future and uh, he's a force of good. Um, so all the things that the energy that Kyle was talking about when he, he spoke about what makes Robin so different than just about any other resident of Gotham City. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this this version of Robin was really, really dynamic to me. He, uh, If Batman was a king, this was a prince. And princes are always kind of fun because they, uh, they're they not learned everything, but they also have the future ahead of them. You know, we all love uh, value youth. And uh, Robin really bottled that up in a way that uh, had a lot of charisma in this in this particular run. So uh, it's a great, great series of, uh, it's a great, great run of, of issues that put together like a classic story. And this is the first time you are introduced to Ray Sogul, right? Yeah, that's right. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams uh, had this great character and they, they, they ushered him into uh, uh, Batman's world in this uh, little mini epic that played out over a few issues. Um, uh, Talia had shown up before 
she had been in uh, the comics previously, but we didn't know her uh, her father until this this series. And uh, it's got this. Uh, there's a real international uh, sweep to the story. There's a real sense of peril and and the imagery um, of of Robin. The first thing you see is him getting shot, uh, oh, climbing gosh. through a window. Uh, you see him getting shot, and you don't know at the time that uh, that it's uh, tranquilizers. Like you know, you you assume that he's you know, going to perish especially if you're a youngster who is unsophisticated reader as I was at that time. I, I found it in a back issues bin when I was maybe seven or eight years old, uh, you know, after star Wars came out, but uh, it's uh, it, it was a classic. It had me uh, at the edge of my seat uh, when I read it then. And it continues to do that. Now it really, really holds up very, very well. Um, and uh, I, as I said, I think Neil Adams, is uh, the greatest living comic book artist. So this is a great introduction to his version of The Dark Knight. If you haven't seen it, do so quickly. I will definitely pick that up this week. That's <laughs> that's exciting. I I always need more Batman and Robin in my life. So yeah, and this is fun. It's 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 a really good. Uh, you'll be surprised how much uh, was held on to for Batman Begins. I mean, uh, not the shape of the story, but as far as the textures and and uh, uh, the things that uh, kind of make the character memorable, a lot of it's right there, right on the page. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to definitely check that out this week. Um, it's Batman issue 232. and It starts in Batman issue 232, and um, the story that plays out from there over the, ne- the following issues has been collected up multiple times uh dc did a really nice showcase of denny o'neill and neil adams version of batman um i've seen that package on two occasions at least uh so you can find those um and then also there's a there's a dc tabloid comic book that came out in the 70s that had a beautiful wraparound cover by neil adams that one it's going to be harder to find but if you can i highly recommend it uh i i love that book so much that for a while, every time I saw one, I bought it because I, <laughs> I, I uh, that, that just only happened to, with me with uh, two comic books, and that was one of them. Uh, but it was the you know it's the large, it's almost the size of a if you took a daily newspaper and folded it in half, uh, or a tabloid newspaper like Village Voice used to be, or or the New York Daily New, or New York Post, um, it would be that size, and. Uh, it's uh, it's Batman wailing in anguish while he holds the crumpled corpse of Robin, um, and over his shoulder you see Talia and her father, and uh, it's just a very powerful, uh, j- jarring melodramatic image. And uh, uh, if you guys can find it, you should buy it, and then after you buy it, you should send it to me. Yeah, we want to make sure that you get as many as possible. Yeah, but read it. <laughs> And then send it to me. Gotcha. But make yeah. sure you don't like drip food on it. Yeah, wear gloves. Just, you know, take a minute. <laughs> Leave the Cheetos alone. Well, that's great. Um, this was a great episode all about sidekicks. Um, we'll check that out. We'll definitely check out Michael's podcast called Showbiz Sandbox. Showbiz Sandbox. Yes. And uh, unless you have anything else, I think I'll talk to you again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later, Jeff. Take care.